it is a very big week. And on top of the election campaign and back to school and all those things, 20 years since 9-11. And as we get closer and closer to that date, there's been so much examination, not just of the day, but on what happened on that day. Terrorism, the word took on a new meaning. Well, where is it now? And what are the threats? Some of the examples that we have seen about terrorism, certainly in the United States, have come from within, even here in Canada. Have we seen attacks on mosques and a rise of extremism? Joining us to discuss this new frontier is Dr. Lauren Dawson, professor in the Department of Religious Studies and the Department of Sociology and Legal Studies with University of Waterloo, co-founder and co-director of Canadian Network for Research on Terrorism, Security and Society. Dr. Lauren Dawson, thank you for being here. Oh, pleased to be here, Arlene. Where are we right now? I mean, after 9-11, there was a new foe who wanted to hurt us. We were looking for Islamic extremists everywhere. Sometimes we found them or they showed themselves to us. And now we're talking about right-wing extremism and looking to what could happen from within. How far have we traveled when we talk about the meaning of the word terrorism? since 9-11? Well, in terms of the threat, we're in kind of a diffuse condition right now. Uh, there is the appearance that there's sort of not much of a threat. And it's if you looked at statistics on terrorist attacks, they tend to go in sort of peaks and, and valleys. And we're definitely in a valley right now. And regrettably in the past, people, when we get into a valley, tend to think that, well, things have permanently changed and that we're not going to have another peak. And in the last 20 years, that hasn't been the case. It's always followed by another peak. So jihadism, sort of Islamist extremist terrorism, in a sense is defeated. It was defeated on the battlefield when ISIS was defeated. But the ISIS organization itself has not disappeared. Al-Qaeda hasn't disappeared. And with the conditions in the world in the Middle East, as now we see in Afghanistan being what they are, Really, all experts believe that it's just a matter of time until they rebound. Now, whether they'll concentrate on attacks on the West is a different matter. They'll probably concentrate on activities within the Middle East and uh, in places like Afghanistan in the future, but they'll target Western interests and non-Middle Eastern interests in those parts of the world. So that danger continues, and really, we don't want to drop our guard in that regard. But of course, everything has pivoted in the last few years to increase concerns about far-right extremism, which tends to be a more domestic issue, truly homegrown style of terrorism. It's our own citizens in a, in a very conventional sense of our own citizens, not just people with citizenship, but people that are maybe are coming from a background of generations being within Western societies that are politically radicalizing and generating real serious threats and problems throughout most of the Western world. The saving grace at this point is that they still tend to be in small groups, relatively disorganized. They are cap more capable of pulling off violent attacks now than ever before, but they're not one big movement. And that is the, you know, that is one of the great, uh, you know, helpful <laughs> aspects of the situation at present. What were you thinking and what were you watching with all your knowledge and your research on January 6th? Yeah, January 6th was, of course, a surprise to everyone that it went to the extreme that it did. And, it, you know, really, truly upsetting. 
and that it could be such a sort of mass event and that it would be allowed to happen. But experts that had been sort of following the development of far right movements in the United States were in a certain sense not surprised. And I was kind of just shaking my head and saying, as were many of my colleagues, yeah, we saw something like this coming. And not really exaggerating that. It was obvious in the rhetoric and the buildup uh, surrounding the whole election, Trump's refusal to accept the defeat in the election, the big lie he was spreading about the election being stolen, and the readiness of a really substantial segment of the American populace, including you know, media figures, to support that lie and promote it. So there'd been a steady boil to that moment for some time. And really, if it had been happening anywhere else in the United States, it probably would have been quashed to some extent. But in the United mm -hmm. States, uh, for political reasons, they really can't, the FBI, et cetera, have their hands tied. They're not allowed to act until very recently. They were not allowed to act against uh, right-wing uh, domestic groups because of their general alignment with a very you know, conservative Republican view in the United States. So these organizations cannot be treated as terrorist organizations under the law in the United States. That's definitely not the case in Canada, as we've seen. And as we've seen since January 6th, the Canadian government has taken further action to prescribe several of these groups. And I can assure you, CSIS and other Canadian mm -hmm. organizations were monitoring right-wing groups in Canada quite closely for about the last five years. You know, there's a there is a fear of renewed terrorism and organization that may be happening in the United States. And a couple of warning bells here in Canada that there's places where it's on the rise. How closely can we watch it and what can be done about it? Have we learned anything after 9-11 about following these things? Oh, I, the, the services, you know, the security services have definitely learned things and they will be following all the trails and links. And that is the main way that you uh, follow what's happening is through the monitoring of communications. And that's, I have no doubt that that is happening across Canada. I mean, CSIS, the director of CSIS for years and years has informed Parliament that roughly about 200 individuals in Canada are under some kind of surveillance. And the number is probably higher, I would suspect, now than it was in the past. Uh, those to be under surveillance, you have to be at a quite advanced mm -hmm. uh, stage of things. So we're really talking about hundreds, if not thousands of other individuals that are of interest. And now that's small over against a population of 36 million. But of course, with terrorism, always the concern is it just takes a few individuals. Really, Canada is a branch plant of American uh, sort of a right-wing reactionary extremism. We still are, but the trouble is that there always was a, a more pronounced difference between Canadian and American versions of these things. And the Canadians were much more moderate on the whole, less just opposed to all kinds of authority. That's That difference is you know, diminishing over the years. And as the contacts established, the organizational contacts, as the flow of propaganda and information moves north, we are seeing Canadian organizations become more radical, more extreme, and take more extreme ideological positions, but also positions in terms of really objecting to all authority and wanting to oppose all authority and possibly violent. A good illustration of that is the individual that uh, broke on to the uh, um, into Rideau Hall, right, under the mm -hmm. Governor General's uh, property in order to access uh, the 
prime minister's residence, who is heavily armed. Now, that also illustrates what I was talking about, though. He's one individual. He's wrapped up in the movement. He's wrapped up in the ideas. He wasn't an organized group. He's just one individual who secured arms, had some military background, and then just felt he had to take action. We're seeing more of those people tip over that edge now. You know, the social media and the Internet has become a breeding ground at 9-11. It wasn't that big. So we're seeing it, that it can be a real impetus for this. It can also, though, be a place where these people can be watched. Does that level out the threat a little bit? Yes, and that balance continues, but it's a very uh, delicate one. You're quite correct. The first thing is to stress that social media and the Internet in general has really been key to promoting all these ideas. The internet doesn't radicalize anyone, but it sure facilitates people who are inclined to be radicalized to move along that path because it's where they find their compatriots. They find other people promoting ideas and helping to connect them with people who are like-minded. And that socialization process of meeting others who hold similar views is tremendously important in moving people towards taking more extreme actions and maybe willing to undertake some kind of violent action. And really there's lots of evidence that lots of people are so engrossed in the online environment, it becomes their key identity marker. It becomes the thing that really gives meaning and purpose to their lives. And it truly becomes a bubble that is hard to penetrate. And so these individuals really do enter into an other world. The QAnon phenomenon in the States, which spread extensively into Canada, is a good illustration of that. Now, it does mean you're right, that they're out there then in a quasi-public realm where a lot of this can be monitored. Mm -hmm. Lots of people know about what they're doing, and lots of people can report on it or comment on it if they say something really extreme. They should, hopefully, being vigilant and tell authorities about it. If you get to the stage, though, of really taking some action, the trouble is now a lot of this can happen in encrypted context, mm-hmm. in closed channels, that we have more capacity to decrypt them and gain access. But for the most part, still encryption stands. And so if somebody's really intent on creating a conspiracy, a group of people, they're going to take an action and they're careful in how they communicate it's almost impossible to stop them until somebody literally in the real world mentions something to someone or takes an action like buying bombing materials. So it's it's a curious balance we're in right yeah, now. Yeah, it's a pro and it's also a con, but it would be better if this wasn't growing at all. Dr. Lauren Dawson, thank you. It was great to have your expertise and your analysis on this week great. where we look 20 years, 9-11. Thank you kindly. Great. You're welcome, Marlene. Dr. Dawson's professor, Department of Religious Studies, Department of Sociology, Legal Studies, University of Waterloo, and co-founder and co-director of Canadian Network for Research on Terrorism, Security, and Society. This is On Point for Alex Pearson tonight. I'm Arlene Bynan, Global News Radio.